Coming up, the German Supreme Court set a new precedent in media transparency. The International Olympic Committee change Rule 40. Hello and welcome to ID.com's Media Snack, episode 36. Uh, today we're going to be looking at a ruling that's come from the Supreme Court in Germany on media transparency and sets a new precedent. That's right, and a week before the Olympics in Rio starts, we're going to look at a ruling that has just changed. All coming up on today's Media Snack in just the time it takes to eat a sandwich. Okay, so first up today, um, News out of Germany, the Supreme Court uh, in Germany has now made a definitive ruling yes. on a case which has been rumbling on for about the last six or seven years right. uh, involving Haribo, the, uh, the sweet maker, uh, and their media agency. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, in 2010, Haribo uh, suspected that their agency, Media Plus at that point, were, were retaining rebates that maybe they thought that they were entitled to. Um, and so they instructed court proceedings against them. This took years to resolve. Yeah. And then finally, I think in 2013, the court ruled in favour of Haribo yeah. and said that the, they should have visibility of any kind of rebates or incentives paid to the media agency. Yeah. Uh, two years further down the line, uh, that was tested on appeal yeah. and a higher court in Munich mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> actually reversed the decision. And the reason they reversed it was because Haribo's contract was with Media Plus. Yeah. And any suggestion that any of these rebates were being retained was being done at a group level. So yeah. where uh, Media Plus was uh, in collaboration with a buying club, yeah. this is where the, the trading was being done. And because Haribo didn't have any contracts with the trading group yeah. and the holding group, they weren't uh, they didn't have any ability to go and audit those books. Yeah, and that was the that was the kind of reverse ruling. The higher court said, uh, if you don't have a contract with the with the higher trading function, yeah. which in this case was a buying club, um, then you're out of luck, right? You don't have access. You don't have uh, privilege to that. And, th and you know this reflects back to a lot of the advice that we talk right. about. You know, that you should aspire to contract with the group or the trading entity, um, and that's the way it was. Uh, it's gone back to court. It went back to court last year, That's right. uh, and in June, That's right. uh, the agency made a decision, which they've just only published uh, in the last few weeks, uh, the last few days. So the Supreme Court has now uh, found in favour of Haribo. Yeah, and so they have reversed this decision, and it set a precedent yep. in in Germany, um, saying that because they had a contractual agent relationship yep. with Media Plus. Uh, that obliged Media Plus to provide access to their books yeah. at a holding group level. Yeah. Okay. So there's a clear distinction between the arrangement that uh, obviously Haribo had with Media Plus yeah. as an agent, as opposed to any principal arrangements that, yeah. that they. Yeah. And that's the, that's the kind of critical decision right. of differentiation, um, which we think is really important. You know, we we encourage. Uh, the agency community, not just in Germany, but around the world, to make it clear mm. where they're acting as agent, where they're acting as principal, in case that's confusing. Um, and this judgment rests very much on the definition. I, th I think less about whether it states in the contract the role of the agent, but if, it's, if the court can, uh, can uh, identify that, that, that that's the relationship, that the, agent, the agency 
is acting it as an agent and yeah. therefore should be wholly in the interest of the client. That's right. Um, and therefore they should be obliged to pass back any incentive paid to that agency, whatever their structure. Yeah. So whether it's at the holding group level, the buying group, trading entity, individual agency. That's right. Um, and that's been the landmark, hasn't it? That's, that's right. been the kind of the main point of difference. And it's, it's been a, a defining judgment, I think, in Germany. So, uh, number one, uh, even if you don't have a contract in Germany with your holding group, as long as you have an agent agreement, you yeah. have access to their books, yeah. number one. Uh, number two, uh, I'd imagine a lot, of, uh, a lot of clients now will be looking to make sure that they have these arrangements, these agent uh, agreements in place with yeah. their existing clients. Um, and if they do, they, I would imagine, be starting to look to perhaps audit at a group level. Yeah. Uh, to see if they are, uh, if they have been retained any any yeah. uh, rebates at that level. Because this judgment will potentially potentially opens up rights that they may not have had right. um, in the past. Now this is isolated uh, at the moment just to Germany. Mm -hmm. Outside of Germany, um, you know, our advice is still that you should aspire to having a contract at the group level yeah. because it will tend to give you more of the access um, and those audit rights that you need in order to understand you know, your relative position on, on rebates and incentives. Um, but the German ruling kind of levels the playing field now yeah. a bit more for advertisers. So it's a, it's a, it's a big step yeah. forward and, and, and welcome. And good on Haribo. I mean, this has been a process yeah. that's been going on for six years and they've remained firm and, uh, and been successful in the end. Yeah. We will link to all the documents. If you speak German, you'll enjoy them a lot more than if you don't speak German, but uh, enjoy. So next up, the Olympics it starts next week yep, in Rio. Very, very exciting. Every four years, uh, big, huge sporting event, probably the biggest event in the world, right? Yep. Um, and with all the excitement and the news behind, uh, you know, one or two kind of athlete issues that we have, we picked up on an interesting uh, marketing story yep. and implication, and it's all about this Rule Forty. Rule Forty, yeah. So it's, it's kind of yet another small controversy really surrounding the Olympics, but interesting from a marketing perspective. And Rule 40 is uh, an element that's written into the contracts of athletes, trainers, Olympics official, Olympic officials and uh, such like. Mm -hmm. And uh, what it does is it creates a blackout for a week or so before the Olympics. Yeah. So I guess we're in it right now during the Olympics and then for a few days afterwards. So any of those types of individuals are not allowed to make any reference to brands who are not official Olympic sponsors or country sponsors. That's right. um, and the idea being is that that's a way of controlling the sponsorship environment and making sure that those you know, official Olympic sponsors have some exclusivity yeah um, and that's been around for for years and that's Absolutely. why if you're you know a, a leading olympic sponsor brand you pay obviously the huge premium uh, that you do and why why have they decided to tweak rule 40 well relax it now because it's it's kind of not fit for purpose mm. in an era when you know particularly around the athletes i mean this is really focused on the athletes athletes themselves are walking media companies you know through social media they have all not all but to different degrees uh built their own audiences so whether that's a twitter facebook you know snapchat following um athletes want to engage with their community and this is potentially the pinnacle of their career 
You know, this is the, the height of their attention that they may ever have. Mm. And Rule 40 forbids them from engaging uh, with their followers and making any reference to any brands that they personally may work with. Absolutely. Uh, which, as media properties themselves, is a bit of a problem. They can't yeah. kind of monetize their own fame. Yeah. Uh, but it's a massive problem, I would imagine, for the brands, the really well-known brands that spend hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. in securing long-term sponsorship rights, not just with the tournament itself from an international perspective, but also from a team perspective. So yeah. there's the Team USA, there'll be the Team GB, yeah. and, and brands that associate with them for long periods of time yeah. um, have for decades uh, had the value of that exposure protected yeah. because uh, you know, Adidas uh, sponsor is a key sponsor of, of the Olympic Games. They knew that Nike wouldn't be able to invade that sponsorship exposure yeah. kind of period. Now it's kind of open season, right? Yeah. So, so brands will be far more active in terms of uh, disruptive marketing behaviours, I'd imagine. Yeah. And, uh, um, and well, who knows what's going to happen. Well, yeah, and it, I mean, it unlocks... Uh, I think it, I mean, it's quite a good thing, as you say. If you're an official Olympic sponsor, you'd be somewhat feel a bit uh, under threat, and you know you might be looking to renegotiate next time round to say that your the value of that sponsorship has been diminished. And you've worked for both sides, haven't you? Because you I mean, from Coca-Cola perspective, an official yeah. sponsor, and then Nike, who weren't, know, who right. were not, but the public always thought that they were yeah. because they activated so well. And that was always that was always the decision. Um, you know, uh, do you invest half of your marketing spends? in sponsoring a big tournament and then have a limited fund then to activate around it? Yeah. Or do you try and ring fence and protect all of that investment and uh, perhaps be slightly more aggressive and, uh, uh, and invest heavier around that sort of area? Yeah. So that whole disruptive uh, uh, ambush marketing, I think, is something yeah. that, that Nike were particularly good at around the World Cups and yeah. the Olympic Games. And they've, they've kind of set the benchmark for that, and which I think a lot of brands will now copy because it, you know the reality is it's the athletes as brands mm. these are not just individuals and athletes they have there are media you know they are media channels in themselves they have That's audiences right. they are far more attractive potentially now as as areas for sponsorship and association than the headline sponsorship of the olympics yes but not least because they they are m more flexible they give you more options and we saw it 12 uh, in 2012 4 years ago you, you remember that the beats uh, headphones did some fantastic kind of guerrilla marketing to get their product on athletes, not official, uh, but got a huge broadcast. You know, it's going to make this ambush and guerrilla marketing, yeah. this activation, really, really interesting. But it will also force the existing sponsors to relook at the way that they engage with the IOC, the way that they activate um, this massive asset, which is you know sponsorship of. The biggest sporting event in the year, yeah. because if if their com their competition their competitors are able to kind of permeate the the walls of of uh, you know, the commercial territories yeah. within these big events, then it's going to be a major problem. For yeah. So it's, it's yet another example of you know the IOC having to figure out how to avoid you know competitive advantage. I guess whether that's on the track or on the billboard, um, but we'll look forward to seeing that over the next few weeks. Yeah. Okay, thank you for watching. That's all for this week. Please subscribe to the channel to be updated with new content. Bye for now. Have a good weekend.